the thing that's very powerful about looking at power, it is a different thing to analyze than what women are. I get told all the time, you know, women take fewer risks. And that could either be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who's saying to me. The reason a woman might make a different choice in a particular context to take fewer risks has to do with the context in which she's in, or the context in which they're in, the, the sort of, what are the options available? What are the structural barriers that will prevent her from being able to make one choice or another? Thinking about analyzing power I think gets us to a more accurate depiction of what are the underlying factors, which then lets us see how power dynamics can change. Welcome to SheEO.World, a podcast about redesigning the world. I'm your host, Vicki Saunders. In each episode, you'll hear from SheEO Venture founders, women who are working on the world's to-do list. These innovative business leaders are solving some of the major challenges of our times. Sit back and prepare to be inspired. I am so excited to be with you today, Joy. This is great. And in true, like, Vicki Saunders plans everything out for months in advance fashion, not. Oh, yeah, that's uh, exactly how this happened to me. <laughs> we were, we checked in on, what, Tuesday morning? Mm-hmm. And you're like, do you have five minutes? And then I did have like seven and a half minutes or something super crazy. And we jumped on a call. You said something genius as you always do. And then I'm like, we have to do a podcast right away. How's Wednesday? (laughs) You have some system in your head. So you immediately said 6.30 on Wednesday, which means you're one of those brains that like has pre-planned to have windows in your time to have these conversations. Totally. Excited to have the conversation as well. So welcome, Joy Anderson. Tell us who you are. I founded this wicked cool organization called Criterion Institute about 18 years ago. My day job is to lead a kind of remarkable experiment in that's, that's really about changing systems. We focus at one particular point, which is um, the sort of intersection of the world of social change and how we create change in the world to create the world that we want and systems of finance. Our mission is about expanding who sees themselves as able to use finance as a tool for social change. We're thinking about it as kind of who has a financial imagination. And so often that's relegated to the people who see themselves as already in positions of power and having finance. We work with grassroots leaders, women's rights leaders, local congregations, think tanks working on human rights issues to say, you might actually also have an amazing imagination to bring to the system of finance. Which they say, what? When you bring that up, right? That's capitalist and evil. And (laughs) we we don't don't want any part of that. They're not crazy that finance has created all kinds of weird things in the world. And yet it's one of the most powerful systems in the world. And I think if we don't engage, can we do that at our peril? how do we engage so that it doesn't mess us up even more? Well, so that's the funny thing that I think you and I started talking about. And so I think we have weird ways of approaching money as people. We spend a lot of our time working in churches, which is one of the places that I, I really learned about this. In churches, there's this conversation that is about what is your relationship to your money? 
and I think we do that in other settings as well, right? I, I just saw these couple conferences that I'm attending and they, they all juxtapose women and money and the relationship between the two. That's problematic as a frame. It's just maybe not, maybe not problematic. It's just not that productive because I don't know if I want to spend a ton of time exploring my relationship with money. I want to explore my relationships with other people, many of whom those relationships, in fact, almost all of our relationships include some kind of economic aspect. And so this kind of, how do we think about how we're in relationship with one another and the ways in which systems of finance, economic structures, money plays into that relationship rather than thinking about our relationship to money. You know, it's interesting that you say that too, because it kind of gave me a bit of an aha years ago, like 20 something years ago, I was asked, how do you get more girls involved in technology? The question that people ask ad nauseum over and over again. And I'm like, wrong question. What do girls want to use technology for? And like, this is an easy thing. If you sit around a table and you're like, what do you care about? And so we brought together all these people and they're like, I really care about body shaming. I really care about eating disorders. I really care about bullying. And we're like, great. And then use technology to amplify what you're worried about, what you care about. And then people are like, oh, that's creating a website? That's so much fun. It started with, what do you want to talk about? And what do you care about? And then, you know, the technology was underneath it. It sounds kind of the same, the way you're approaching it with money. Exactly the same. It's a genius comparison. One of the similarities, I, I mean, you know this, Vicky, but like, I've been in this impact investing space for a long time, like before. A long time. Long, for a long time. Before it was called that. Yeah. It was impact investing. And I am still struck by the number of times we have conversations about how much money has moved. We legitimate ourselves to one another by how much money has moved. I was in a big important powerful meeting the other day and I was really nervous and thinking through a bunch of stuff and in the middle of it this woman said well have you had any impact and I was like oh crap it's really hard to answer how could I name we do this abstract systems change stuff and it takes a long time and it's really hard and then she said well have you moved any money and I thought oh that's an easy question to answer <laughs> like yeah we that's how billions of dollars have moved it's just like, oh, good. Like, well, you shouldn't care about that, though. It's not the point. One of the things that I think is so simple, but it seems like a big shift in a conversation, is we talk about how to use finance as a tool to create social change. The question then is, is back to your technology. What social change are you trying to create? Okay, that's a good question. Great. What are you trying to get done in the world? What are you dissatisfied with the status quo? What are you trying to push in new directions? What do you want to transform? And then the question is, can systems of finance, can investments, can have capital moves be in any way helpful to that? And we have a really big imagination for how finance can be helpful. We're quite bullish on the on the fact, but it's a different question than I have a problem. Can you move money to it? Right? right, which is so often like, how much money have you thrown at poverty? Is a very different question than 
what are you trying to transform about the structural inequities that ensure that poverty stays in place? And by the way, particularly more for some people than for others to be really straightforward about it. How can finance as a system be used as a tool to transform those structural inequities? That's a very different question than how much money did you move? I mean, we, we talk about how much money is moved in microfinance. And I think microfinance has been transformational in the world in hundreds of ways. But by giving a woman a loan, the only thing we can definitively say is that we've increased the debt that she has. What she does with the loan, how her business shifts, how her community changes as a result, is not necessarily about the money. It could have been really bad money that put her farther in debt and created an exploitative relationship with a moneylender and increased sexual violence in her world. All of those things could have also happened. And this is what I think is so fascinating is why I'm one of your biggest fans and an endless booster of CEO is because you systematically within CEO deconstructed all of the relationships that go into funding an enterprise, like every single one of them. You like, you must have seen so many bugs, like looking under every single rock and the little, like those little centipedes that go really, <laughs> those nasty little bugs, like but looking under every single rock and saying, what is it about how we structure this relationship? Because it's about the relationship, not about the money. And I still have a really hard time explaining that. You know, like we still go, oh, you know, what does it mean to be an activator? Oh, you contribute $1,100 and I'm, oh, shit, I just did it again, right? right? Damn, leading right. with that, as opposed to, we are going to get you in relationship with the most innovative, amazing women who have breakthrough ideas to work on the world's to-do list and together we're going to transform our communities. Oh, and by the way, there's like a price tag attached to it, but you know, like leading with this whole thing it's been really challenging to break that down. Well, it's even that it's inviting finance, inviting money, capital, investments to be part of your relationship with people. It's a different way to frame it, right? So you're going to transform, you, as an activator, you're transforming your relationship with people. I can never get your to-do list thing. I love it so much when you say but like to the women working on the world's to-do list, right? You're going to build a relationship with these women and you're going to have 85 different ways that you're in that relationship. One way that's super powerful is that there's going to be this financial relationship. But we are taught, this is back to why some of our historical work in churches is, is helpful, is because at some point there is, my father's a pastoral theologian. He, he works on family system stuff. Like he's a theologian, but he, he works on the family systems. One of the things that happens in family systems is we tell stories about our family. And if you think about it, right, family is sort of the ultimate relationship, right? And if you think about how many of your stories of your family have to do with money, but it's not to say that Money shouldn't be in families, right? People used to always say to me, well, they still do, like, I don't want to have a financial relationship because that would make it less pure. And my answer is always, crap, you want to give all of the financial relationships to people who don't care. <laughs> uh, what? That makes no sense. Yeah. That would be bad. 
if only people who don't care about friendship or humility or grace are the ones who are managing all of the financial relationships in the world, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) Indicators in the general state that we're in. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, sounds familiar. Wait for it. (laughs) No, I'm not not at all suggesting people in finance are soulless, but they are taught that they're supposed to be. And that not being that is somehow in the way of this pure financial transaction. In, unless, of course, it's the bro club, at which point it's all about friendship. And anyway, I digress. <laughs> One of the things that just sort of hit me was I, a couple of years ago, I was at an airport and I bumped into someone who I hadn't seen for quite some time. And he came up to me and he's like, hey, how's it going? I said, great, how are you? And he goes, oh, awesome, raised $35 million. I'm like, Okay, great. And he goes, yeah, I raised it from name drop, name drop, name drop, name drop. Oh, got to go catch my flight. <laughs> and he went running by and I, I was like, uh, to do what? <laughs> like didn't even talk about his business, like no idea. He didn't lead with, hey, I have a startup and it's doing this cool right. stuff. He literally led with, I raised $35 million. Check. Well, don't you also want to ask him to do what? But then I want to ask him, do you like those people? Do they like you? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that was so far down the what? What do you mean? It's money. Of course I like them, you know? Honest to gosh, I do think there is, there are fault lines emerging in the system of of venture capital in particular. This isn't all just Pollyanna, let's be nice to each other and have relationships. Like the systems that venture capital was built on and and particularly not, not not necessarily the first idea of how to run a venture capital fund, but how it got built up in, in the dot com world was the infrastructure underneath that is not holding up. It literally hasn't performed against its own benchmarks. Oh crap, I'm not gonna be able to get the exact number, but I was talking to Lisa Kleisner the other day and she named something like high mid single digits in what venture capital has returned. Yeah, it's Um, returning worse than municipal bonds, OMG. But at some fundamental level, Vicki, the whole idea of venture capital, like it's what it is celebrating is that intimacy of a venture capitalist with an entrepreneur. Let's face it, that relationship's not, it's not working out so well. There's, there's a lot of parts of toxic masculinity that are not working out really well. I always ask the question, right, if you take that sort of ultimate I love the way that venture capitalists having launched a venture capital firm. I love the way they take bets on people, right? It's yeah. not cool. the part's not cool. It's the go big or go home. I mean, the level of what is mental instability that's happened within entrepreneurs who have taken venture capital is extraordinarily high. You start to break apart the infrastructure that sits under these glorified relationships and you start thinking they were never that stable they just fit a particular model of what we think successful relationships look like because i think like you i live in this world where i have to make things that i think sound common sense and kind of practical like how about we have better relationships that work as opposed to destructive ones but it often gets dismissed as, well, a very nice man called me Pollyanna once. 
I like the phrase pixie of possibility. That's one of my more favorites. Since I don't think of that as an insult, but the I was trying, I was giving this in Singapore. Have I told you this story? No. I was giving a speech in Singapore and I was in front of this very nice audience of very, very wicked, smart, cool people. I love, it was Asian Venture Philanthropy Network. I, I love that conference. So I'm standing in front of this room and I'm laying out our work on rethinking gender-based violence and the connection, the risk that gender-based violence presents to our financial investments. I said, well, what if we go out into the future and we imagine that gender-based violence cut in half? Which companies that you're invested in would survive in that market and which ones would fail? Right, just like, you know, just like climate change. And he looked at me and he's like, well, don't you think that's a little Pollyanna? Although all the statistics right now are saying that it's on a downward trend, just not as fast as human beings should want it to be. You know those moments where you actually have to come back in the moment that you're in? So I turned back to this guy and said, how come Elon Musk gets to say that we're going to live on Mars? And I suggest we're not going to beat the crap out of people. And I'm the Pollyanna. Pollyanna, yeah. no, Which is a small digression from our core point of we, in some ways, talk about money because we don't want to talk about our relationships. Yeah. No, I totally. This whole narrative of it's just business. It's not personal. The humanity being pulled out of everything. The suck it up the not being able to talk about all the other things that are going on in your life and then that extra dump on top of women of all the other things that we need to deal with is, yeah, just incredibly painful. And then how we just make that is all harsh, right? Like we're mechanistic. We can't bring our humanity to the table. And I mean, I feel like that's one of the biggest things that I've sort of brought forward with CEO that I stand in front of a crowd and I cry and I own it now. When I was 35 and I did that, when we were going public, my entire board was like, holy crap, would you get her out of here? She's like a nightmare. They're so uncomfortable by the emotional experience of it. And I love your pixie of possibility because that just took me back to this. This writer did a a sort of gotcha in an interview with me way back. I was on the cover of this uh, business magazine we were going public. And I gave him this quote. He's like, tell me about your leadership style. And I said, I exist in the cloud of possibilities. (laughs) Which, oh God. Anyway. And I had said that because someone had told me the day before, you know, you really exist in the cloud of possibilities. And so I just had that in my head and I said it, which would never have been what I'd said about myself. (laughs) They fact-checked it. They called it like, did she actually say that? There's no way she said that. And then they made that the quote about like how ridiculous it was to exist in a cloud of possibilities. When we were first founding Good Capital, I had done other things before founding a venture fund. And so I had one mentor that was concerned that I wasn't going to make the transition well into the world of finance. And so he very directly said, you say the word yummy too much. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) We're like lost at birth. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally like, I'm sorry, that's your advice for me? Like in all of this. And I mean, I, I do think so. The, your sanitized point just hit home with me because there is a kind of language sanitation and, you know, there is finances about a construction of a kind of expertise that it is about trust me with your money. Like, I, I, it's real. Like, you, nobody's going to give you money if, which is sort of his point, if you sound like a Pollyanna woman who walks around saying the word yummy too much. How we construct trust within the systems of finance 
is a performance of trust. It's not really that some set of people are fundamentally more trustworthy. It's that how they perform that trust looks more like the dominant culture and what is trusted within a dominant culture. I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but part of the problem is it's not just sanitized in the way that it takes out the humanity. It just focuses on one kind of privileged humanity and anybody else's expression of what human life could look like is not honored. When we think of it as sanitized or lacking in humanity, it loses the fact that it actually is ascribed with somebody's expression of humanity. It's a, a very particular one, right? Let's just face it, like venture capital one of my things that I always worry about in, in how we approach the failure for the sort of lack of access to capital for women and particularly women of color, like across the board, who is excluded from getting venture capital, we start with this assumption that back to where we started on this conversation, that the goal is to get them that money, right? So you start with this proposition that the problem with venture capital is that not enough people have access to it. So what we need to do is expand access to venture capital and have more people start high growth ventures and have people have access to accelerators and business programs that would support their ability to launch very high growth businesses that would then be appealing to venture capital. Women and people who experience broad-based structural inequities tend to build normal growth businesses. Right? In some ways, because they don't have access to venture capital, they build normal growth businesses that grow one revenue line at a time. From a financial perspective, normal growth businesses are a more liquid, more stable investment than venture capital. 100%. Yep. And the companies that would take venture capital there on that sort of hockey stick thing. So if you do the comparison between the two, Normal growth businesses are actually a more desirable investment on, on a lot of terms, yeah. especially if you bring in the municipal debt number. Right? Yeah. But, so I wanted to start working on normal, normal growth businesses about six years ago, and, and there were this sort of amazing stuff that's been happening around alternative term sheets that support normal growth businesses, and how do you structure term sheets differently so that not everybody needs to take equity at the same level and you could kind of blend debt and equity. And I was so interested in all this and I thought I'd be really excited to work on it because there's this challenge of women tend to build normal growth businesses. And I got a phone call from somebody we both know well, like it wasn't some crazy whack job, it was somebody we both know well, who said, we would prefer joy if you not work on this. Because if you work on normal growth businesses, because I'm known for working, you know, we founded the field of gender lens investing with all these amazing people. It will be seen as a women's thing and devalued. Right. Yeah. So at some point, I guess the point that I want to, I think we make it too easy when we say it's dehumanized. It's just humanized in a particularly privileged way. And that one mode of being in the world, one sort of privileged experience of the world is set up on a pedestal yeah. mark zuckerberg ends up looking like what we should all want to be and 
working out all the time. Not so long. The pendulum has swung so severely in the last 20 years from when I you know, started to be an angel investor in DC, where it was still a very small percentage of the population that would ever talk about this. It was so niche. It was definitely not a mainstream thing. Right. And now, literally people who have no business even thinking about venture capital are talking about like, well, I couldn't start a business unless I raise money. And so it's just gotten so whacked out. The fact that the very first media interview I had with a big magazine in the US, it was the editor-in-chief of the magazine called me and said, people keep talking about CEO, we keep hearing about this, but like, we don't understand. You're doing debt? Why? Debt isn't growth capital. Quote, unquote. I started laughing. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she had no idea what I was talking about. She's like, debt isn't growth capital. I'm like, oh my God, we are so brainwashed and clueless. Right. And that's not even real. And then that's not real finance. Like no. most growth is financed by debt, not by equity. And your equity is not other people's capital. It's your own stuff. I think there's a way that venture capital ended up becoming a metaphor for how we think about finance much more broadly than it, than it used to be. Within the world of impact investing and sustainable finance, the sort of trajectory of that field came from people who had experienced venture capital and then wanted to export this. So you and I both work yeah. all over the world and I am frozen with fear when I see reports that say, we're going to build a financing structure in name the country. And it looks like a venture capital pipeline of early stage to, you know, friends and family, to early stage angels, to expansion, to venture capital. And somebody literally described to me, this is back to where you started. I was talking to a, a fund in someplace in Southeast Asia, and he said to me that the purpose of the fund was to have more series A investments in that country. <laughs> And I literally, again, asked him, towards what end? Like, right. To so do what? Yeah. yeah. Right. This is an indicator of some other thing. And he's like, no, we just need more Series A investments because the Series A investments will build a better marketplace. And it's not that that's not true and it's not a legitimating fact, but part of the problem is we live within this we live within this bubble of what is legitimating and that's part of the problem in finance i mean that's why you and i are well that's why we're rocking it right now but it's fine for a long time we were a little bit on the you know what are they saying? we were so like what is this weird thing over here yeah it was hard to get any phone calls returned right and now it's like oh this model's actually working what yeah. <laughs> there's another way to do things you know well 2008 helped so much yeah it did Thank God for the crash in many ways. Like, well, because at some point it was so clear that it was a human constructed issue, not ebbs and flows in the economy, but the people who were doing calculations on subprime loans and the derivatives, like it was clear what was happening and that it was a financial design issue, which let us start to distinguish to say these financial design issues have real impact and it and it matters how we design finances and it, it wasn't like written on a stone. Yeah, I mean, I, there's this brilliant Chilean economist who I've followed ever since I met him at Davos way back in like 2003 or 2002 named Manfred Max Neef. And he had studied poverty for many, many years. He taught at Berkeley. He said, 
when the crash happened and he saw the banks get bailed out with $17 trillion, which we found in three weeks, he realized for the first time he had believed for decades that there wasn't enough money to solve for poverty and hunger. He actually started to believe that. And he said, when I saw that $17 trillion in three weeks, oh my God, that's 600 years without hunger on the planet. We did that in three weeks. So it's now about values and culture. And that started to unlock people's thinking about systems, right? Right, right, right. Because let me push you on that. I don't yeah. actually think it's about the money. I think it's the, the way we are in relationship wouldn't actually change the structural inequities. Right. Like we could spend, quote unquote, all of that money. We could spend all of that money. This is what keeps surprising people is we spend all this money and nothing changes. But if you don't actually address the underlying power dynamics in the relationships, you actually won't ever change anything. Right. So let's talk about those. Let's talk about some of the underlying power dynamics. <laughs> what else do I need to say? They suck and change them. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, we, we, we had this like amazing conversation, I think in the Philippines last year where you're, you were in this place of gender lens investing. We're very focused on gender and it was just like, wait, are we, should we be talking more about power? Instead yeah. of gender, and there was, we're learning as we go, we're evolving as we really understand the challenges we're facing. Do you want to talk a bit about the thinking that started to evolve for you around that? Yeah, well, it's, it's actually just in polishing our strategic plan, the whole future is how do we think about power and relationships? So, so I think part of it is understanding how power operates in both in systems of finance and in the world. Well, so understanding how power dynamics operate between the genders is actually what gender analysis is, right? So gender, just to stick with that one for a second, because gender is actually a construction of a set of power that comes out of a set of power relationships. Even if what we chose to talk about was gender, we still would be talking about power. My sex defines whether or not I have certain body parts that allow me to reproduce potentially my gender is what allows me to be dismissed in a room it's about the power dynamics and because it's about power dynamics and how identity plays into that it means it's shifting the thing that's very powerful about looking at power it is a different thing to analyze than what women are I get told all the time, you know, women take fewer risks. And that could either be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who's saying to me. Overall, it's a bullshit statement. Overall, like that, that's a ridiculous, like, which women? In what context? Childbirth, really? Like, <laughs> seriously, there are risks that people take. And they're like, oh, no, I mean financial risks, you know, like, right. In some ways, the reason a woman might make a different choice in a particular context to take fewer risks has to do with the context in which she's in, or the context in which they're in, the, the sort of, what are the options available? What are the structural barriers that will prevent her from being able to make one choice or another? People talk all the time about women reinvest in their communities as if somehow this maternal instinct makes us care for our children in different ways. Well, in most of the places where the data is about women reinvesting in their children, reinvesting in their families, women don't have freedom of travel. 
So of course they reinvest in their own communities. They can't actually go right anywhere else. (laughs) It's not a women buy things in malls. Exactly, they are allowed to go to malls. It is the you know occupation they're allowed to have, and and so thinking about analyzing power. I think gets us to a more accurate depiction of what are the underlying factors, which then lets us see how power dynamics can change. That's from an analysis standpoint of like what, what actually are we trying to figure out when we look at things like race and class and ability and, and gender and, and age and on and on. It, it's not really about those things. It's about how those things show up in the world. That gets you to kind of broad macro trends. I think the amazing thing that we have in the system of finance is we can literally look at what are the power dynamics in a particular transaction. We're doing this really cool project right now where we're looking at a a portfolio of investments in the Pacific Islands. We've been talking about this project for years. We, We love this work with Pacific Rise funded by the Australian government. But we've gotten down to these 10 amazing investments delicious yummy companies and financial vehicles that would move money that would make a difference for women's economic empowerment in pacific islands bg vanuatu and what we're doing is actually building relationship maps sort of essentially transact deal maps transaction you know pictures of transaction to get really clear about who holds what power in the transaction that's happening around this company for example, there's this amazing company. They started looking for a classic single investor come into this company, yummy, yummy company. See, yummy can be so much There you go. Yeah. So yummy company, get an individual investor to put capital in and started to be, the founders and others started to be really concerned about the power dynamics of a single investor coming in. So we worked with a bunch of other people to get a group of, you know, sort of more of a CEO model, actually. We called you in the midst of it, of a group of investors who would come in and serve as kind of champions for this business and build a community of investors. Lo and behold, that then gave the entrepreneur enough gumption to go talk to their neighbor who happened to own property and figure out a joint venture that would allow her to use the property Mm. So they leverage a bank loan. Beautiful. And so it moved from a single Australian to 20 Australians to another person in Fiji putting this together. Mm. And in each one of those, the relationship shifted, the power dynamics shifted, and that's what we have to keep figuring out how to do. Mm, I just love it. And again, that was like unlocking other forms of capital. I actually kind of love that. So I'm like, okay, so if that's really messy to get that money and that's really messy, you know, see you guys later. I'm going to go over here. We're starting to see that happen in a couple of environments. Like in the past, there has been this, let's just call it a scarcity of capital. There isn't, but that's what is experienced by some of the founders in our network. And as soon as you start to shift the kinds of terms on these term sheets that work for you and there are more people showing up, you can say no thank you to one and yes to over here. And we just saw this happen uh, in one of our regions. Someone was said no to who has never been said no to, ever, right? Like a total whale. It, w- it was just like, what? What just happened there? And I'm like, oh, 
welcome to sheeo.worlds, right? Like alternatives are starting to come up of like treating right. people the way that we want to treat people and not walking in and saying, I want X, Y, and Z. Really interesting. And, and I think that happens exactly at the moments where we stop making it about the money and think about what's actually needed. Again, this is really just fascinating work is sort of figuring out how to build an investing market in the Pacific around impact and all of this. And what does that look like? And one of the things that we kept noticing is there was a mismatch, right? There was money that wanted to move and there was amazing economic activity happening, but the money that wanted to move wasn't moving to the economic activity. And we did this whole capital mapping project that came to one very simple conclusion. The problem was the vehicles. We were using vehicles, so we've been reinventing, we've been looking at how do you create design and investment vehicle that allows you to invest in informal enterprises so that you don't have to have a formal business to take an investment. Well, that would unlock an enormous amount of economic activity that has never had access to any money, that they need to do transactions within their business. Not because they need to grow, but because it would reduce their cost of doing business to have a little bit of money upfront. So we stepped back, and this is where I think at a macro level, impact investing, gender lens investing, all these different fields have kind of gone just a little bit off, is for so long we made it about moving money, and we didn't spend enough time redesigning the structures that manage the relationships. We didn't say, is this the right term sheet? We just downloaded term sheets off the internet and said, ta-da, we're doing investing. Yeah. And, and now I think we're starting to do much more of that financial design work, and, but, but not fast enough because we're still saying this doesn't work in the structure that worked for something else. Well, of course it doesn't. I mean, I see this every day because now it's like super hot and everyone's talking about it, women, women, women. And so we just keep, keep creating a female version, a woman's version of an existing structure, which is actually going to get us to the end of humanity a lot faster. If we have like another 50% of the population pillaging away, you know, towards the the brick wall that we're heading at. I'm just so thankful for your reframing around this. I think it's really, really powerful is looking at how do we redesign the structures that are managing the relationship. I just, I love that phrase. Um, And then how do you analyze power in the context of the relationships that are in those structures and then say, could this work differently? And this is where we're so bullish because this isn't like, this isn't happening in a vacuum. Like we're looking at the Canadians announcement of $1.8 billion, yay Canadians, of moving to innovative finance aligned with the feminist international assistance policies. Okay, what does it look like to move $1.8 billion with a feminist lens on it? Now, I'm not saying they figured out how to do that, but it is at least asking the questions. And the launch of the um, Equality Fund, a lot of what was happening in the launch of that fund, like also in Canada, was looking at what is the underlying structure that supports the Equality Fund. It's not the $300 million. It's the fact that there will be a new vehicle that is designed differently. So I just want to end up on one thing. What are you most excited about in the world right now? I, I will say my, my genuine unthought true answer was I'm excited about a bunch of us who are breaking through right now. Mm-hmm. There's just too, there's so many of us who are having, who have been working against on the bleeding edge as a, you know, yeah. nowhere near where profit is flowing. <laughs> 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 We're off on 
some deep island up with alternative schemes and and that's shifting but but i think for me that translates into i'm just so excited about this moment we have a moment in which there are a whole bunch of different factors aligning whether it's a shift in how governments are doing innovative finance, where there's a kind of disgruntledness in both impact investing and gender lens investing of, is this all it was? There's a kind of still the massive wealth transfer and a, a sort of a coming age of a set of leaders who have been doing this for a while and, and have some ability to kick some ass. And it's not, that's not the right kind of relationship, but you, you know yeah, what I mean? I get it. Yeah. So, so I'm excited about this moment, and with that comes a kind of urgency to say, this moment's not going to last forever. One of my mentors in systems thinking was a project manager at a pension fund, very straightforward man, but he said to me, you, the way you do systems change is you sit patiently and watch until the system shifts enough that a door opens and then you walk through it. I feel like we've been watching for 18 years as systems have been shifting and we've been pushing and prodding and nudging them. And there are some doors opening right now that I am loving walking through. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. There, there really is this like observe, 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 become one with everything. And yeah, and that opportunity and nature abhors a vacuum, right? right. So there's a moment now to, to step in. And I think one of the things I'm really excited about around this is that each of us are in conversation and we are in relationship together and we are thinking global and we are connected to some of the leaders in the space and to be able to align our initiatives to leverage all of our different approaches is really exciting. So thank you for your time. I know you're incredibly busy and I caught you between some airport and another airport. And yeah. for those who, who might be listening to this, if you've made it through nearly an hour, <laughs> you should surely reach out to us and tell us how to play. <laughs> Goodness knows, you've listened to us for an hour. There's, there's a lot more of that. There's like a bunch of people here at Criterion doing amazing things. And so how do we find you? Where? What's your website? Yeah, criterioninstitute.org. Thank you for your time, Joy. It is an absolutely delight and it's delicious and yummy to be in relationship with you. <laughs> Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. If this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like more information about SHEEO, please visit us at SHEEO.world. That's S-H-E-E-O dot world.